0: This evening, I'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent... When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health, he is the stone which, the, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For, by, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. All right. A reading from 1 John 3. Chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. We don't love by this, that he had laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God remain in him, little children? Let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know this by, we will know by this that we are of the truth, and will set our heart at ease before Him that if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments remains in him, and he in him. We know by this that he remains in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Reading from the book of the gospel according to John. Chapter 10 verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. He, I mean who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and fleece. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, father, we come here to hear your word, uh, to, to be your children, to act accordingly. We pray that your word would come alive in us, uh, that we would hear your words, we would do them, and we'd be the people you've called us to be through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, first, there's a typo on your outlines. We're on the fourth Sunday in Easter. Uh, I forgot to change that, so four out of seven. Uh, and we're still in Easter time, obviously. So, um, let's start in the book of Acts, Uh, so last week we talked about like Easter season is a season of witnessing, this is a season of evangelism, it's a season of spreading the gospel. Um, I think this is maybe just like a, uh, in the hearts of men, you even have like nominal Christians who are C and E Christians, Christ, Christmas and Easter Christians, and and so they have this idea that they should come to church at least two times a year, and they pick Easter, and so uh, it's a it's kind of a common theme or a common thing that happens in uh, evangelicalism of people who come around Chris, Christmas or Easter uh, who tend to think they need a little bit more churching up around those seasons for good reason because they need a little more churching up in every season and uh, and a lot of times that is a, a a method or a medium by which the Lord uses to. Um, remind people and call them into a deeper fellowship, true fellowship. Uh, so a lot of Christians get more serious uh, on their walk with the Lord around Easter. And so, because it, it's just kind of in the heart of men that they know that Easter is like a prime time. And so uh, regardless, so Easter is a witnessing season. We talked a lot about last week that the church is called to be a witnessing community. Um, and we see this in the book of Acts. If you just follow the book, uh, Jesus says that you're going to be my witnesses. And, um, you know, you can read in, in Luke 24. I think we did that last week a little bit um, about how the Lord at the end of the book of Luke says that, you know, repentance of sin will be proclaimed in every nation. That's what we're going after. Um, That's our mission. And in the first couple uh, lines in the book of Acts, Jesus is calling them as one of the very last things before he ascends, that you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go and do this. And what do they do? Uh, They go. And so we see the same thing here. And so um, one thing to note is uh, what we normally think of witnessing as far as evangelism, sharing the gospel, proclamation evangelism, Um, and even life, when we normally think of the two types of evangelism and lifestyle evangelism being the other one, we still normally think of that as, uh, witnessing to the outside world. And yeah, I am saying that is our call and what we should be doing, but we're going to be witnessing. We're telling what we do with our lives, what we say with our words. We're witnessing, we're being witnesses to something all the time. Anyways, it's inescapable. Right? And so, in the context here in Acts 4, uh, we see that uh, some of the apostles, they've been, um, particularly Peter and John, are before the council, before Jews. They arrest them. Uh, they ask them how they healed this man, by what power, and uh, uh, they just say, there was the man upstairs, and they walk away. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Go to the last line on, on our notes there. It says, uh, and we're gonna to turn to Luke 12, that in, in all three Gospels, Matthew, all three synoptic, synoptic Gospels, uh, Jesus makes a promise to them that, that says, the Holy Spirit will be with you when you get arrested and put on trial, so don't be anxious about what you are to say. Um, he doesn't necessarily, a lot of times we think that means don't prepare what you're to say. He just says, don't be anxious, particularly. Um, maybe you should prepare, maybe you shouldn't. But let's look particularly at the one in Luke, Luke 12, 11, since this is Luke's second book in Acts. So particularly in Luke 12:11, he says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so the other two of the synoptic gospels just say before the councils, they don't make it particular about synagogues or that the Jews are going to be arresting you. And so we see that fulfillment here. And um, as Luke notes, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they spoke, right? So Peter is using this as an opportunity to share the gospel, right? Um, now this isn't the same context, but when I got pulled over speeding on the way to church a few weeks back, they didn't, they, he asked me where I was going. And I said, I'm going to uh, church just down the street, but I didn't, uh, tell the police officer that, Hey, I'm going to church. And, uh, do you know the Lord and you should repent? And, uh, <laughs> I, I really wanted him to repent after he gave me the speeding ticket, but I don't know how that works. Um, and i don 't think he was going to, but anyways uh, peter's using this he says in, in verse eight he 's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he 's particularly making note like they asked you couldn 't ask for like a better opportunity to share the gospel with the people who are persecuting you when they ask him uh, by what power and whose name uh, this man has been healed and so um, you know particularly in in this when peter 's speaking. Uh, going off of Acts 1-8, he knows that in all of Jesus' promises about what's going to happen. Um, I was just having a Bible study with someone today about uh, uh, just having like the eyes or the paradigms and the understanding of grace for the whole entire scriptures. And uh, that it was in Luke 24 also, that Jesus had to give them understanding. They had heard these things. They had known that Jesus was going to get crucified, yet they still were scared and, and hiding and and everything when they should have been like worshiping and jumping for joy and going out to the streets and telling everybody that Jesus was going to be resurrected in a few days. Uh, but it's because the Lord didn't give them understanding. They, Jesus told them plainly. The scriptures told them plainly. They just didn't understand. Um, and so... Uh, Peter, in this instance, you know, after, after the day of Pentecost, they're filled with understanding and their whole life becomes about evangelism, right? All of the apostles, planted churches, evangelized and made it their mission to spread the gospel uh, as wide and as far as they were called, right? Thomas gets to India. There's, uh, you know, Paul's even like traveling like as far as Spain and all, of, you know, and everything Paul's doing. And so uh, they were ready. They knew what they were about. They looked for an opportunity, uh, and they didn't back down. And so uh, we're not all called to proclamation evangelism. I don't think everybody here is called to the type of proclamation evangelism like Peter was called to, standing in streets and that type. Uh, But we're all called to proclamation evangelism. We're all called to be prepared to make a defense of the faith. That might be one-on-one. Uh, that might be with a coworker. That might be with a family member. That might be with a friend. Um, nobody comes to faith in Christ outside of proclamation evangelism. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, take that as it is. Um, but the point is that they were ready. They were a community that were... Uh, deeply had the paradigms and mindsets that they were going to be God's chosen people and witnesses to the entire world and that the new covenant had come and that the mission was going to be fulfilled. And so they were, just to have that mindset, just to have the readiness and awareness uh, that the Lord wants to use us, right? Who was it that spoke on Sunday about uh, Ephesians 4.11? I think we talk about that like every Sunday. (laughs) Who spoke? It was Daniel. Daniel. Christiana, you should have got that one. Uh, uh, it was Daniel who spoke on on Sunday about uh, Ephesians 4.11 that the saints are being uh, made ready or being equipped for the work of the ministry. All right? I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago, I talked about just the role of an evangelist is to heighten and prepare a community for the community to do evangelism. And so... Everyone should be prepared. Everyone should be looking for opportunities and praying for opportunities that we can uh, speak to people about Christ, uh, call them to repentance, um, to have salvation in Christ's name, um, and to be saved. and more than just our cultural ideas of that. And so let's go to First John. So first, John, he doesn't make any uh, claims about being witnesses, but how we are and how and who we are as a community, and what we do is a testimony, is a witness, um, and it says something. And so we're in chapter three, verses sixteen to twenty-four. So by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So God didn't just uh, come down with a guy or prophets to send a message that people would believe and then they're saved. That's not how it worked, right? They had to believe, we have to believe in an actual event, an actual person, uh, an actual thing, right? And so God sent uh, Christ to actually sacrifice, It's not just this ethereal, Gnostic thought process that we believe the right thing and we get saved. Uh, It's actually that there was a real sacrifice. There's a real penal substitution. uh, And this happened in the real world. And so uh, we ought to do the same thing. And um, this is where the the witnessing part and what we're testifying to meets the road. Because in verse 17, he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So John makes the case that, uh, I just recently read through the, uh, through First John uh, in my daily reading again, and it was reminding me of how much the whole book is just about like, hey, here's, if the Lord is your father, here is the proof. And if his love abides in you, here's the proof. And if it doesn't, here's the proof. And it's fruit, right? Fruit, a tree bears forth fruit. And this is how you can tell. And so uh, John says, if his love abides in you, um, or if you don't provide, if you don't uh, actually provide for your brother or sister in need, how can God's love abide in you, right? You can't just say you love someone, cannot have action Uh, the common i don't know know if it's common but like love is a verb it's an action word right you do something and so we don't believe in an ethereal abstract god's love we live in a we believe in a real concrete historic god's love and so he says the same thing that we are to imitate the same way and so uh real love is sacrificial and we're called to lay down our lives for one another And so we can't lay down our lives in a penal substitutionary way or atoning way. And we can't even really, uh, we're not really being called to lay down our lives that I'm going to sacrifice my life for yours in such a way that I'm going to die. I can do that once. I can't do that every day. Uh, Even though Paul says I die every day. But uh, what obviously he's saying is when it comes to your earthly needs when it comes to you sacrificing something and so you guys might want to write this down this is huge sacrifice means you have to sacrifice go home and meditate on that and and so uh in a community of people who are testifying about something we are and i'm talking about just internally we're just i'm testifying to you and my actions about uh the lord you're testifying to me through your actions about the lord and just as an internal community we're making we're being witnesses and testifying about who we think and we know the lord to be and so if we aren't a continual uh sacrifice sacrificing laying down our lives for one another community uh I would beg to ask, how can we do that for other people? How can we do that for the world? How can we do that and, and go outwards, right? Uh, the epistle of, of 1 John is only handling the things inside the people of God. He's not actually talking about going out and evangelizing and doing good deeds so that others see you, your good deeds and praise the Lord or anything. He's just saying, um, as a people of God, uh, what it looks like when God's love abides in you. And so you can actually have uh, proof of salvation. I'm putting those in my fingers and on the outline in brackets, because that's an unbiblical concept. Uh, again, let me clear you guys into something. Words have meaning, Amen. right? And so there's no such thing as, uh, well, I guess there is proof of salvation, but my proof of salvation is that I'm actually saved from something. And so, if I had a bunch of emotional issues, uh, I wouldn't need proof of salvation, I would just not have emotional issues. It'd be evident that I was saved. It's just, others would know that, and I would know that, and see that. I wouldn't have to um, wrestle with like, you know, or uh, if I was being taken by somebody, being captive and I was kidnapped and uh, I would know I was saved when someone came and rescued me and I wasn't in danger anymore. I wouldn't wrestle like, am I really saved? (laughs) Like, is this real? And are you the new kidnapper? (laughs) Like, that would be weird, but uh, there's no, you wouldn't need, you don't need proof of salvation. Salvation is self-evident based on what you're being saved from and so are you saved from sin well uh read the book of first john and it says uh whoever continues sinning uh that uh the lord doesn't abide in them and does that mean that we stop sinning altogether i don't think so uh i can just tell you no um if that was true then i shouldn't be up here (laughs) uh but it's, there is a, a linear progression in sanctification. There really is. And so we use terms like proof of salvation, and we, that's just an unbiblical concept. A biblical concept is fruit, right? Where's the fruit? And so um, I could understand like a Christian who's been a Christian for like a month wrestling with the concept because they've heard it somewhere of being like, are they really saved? Because um, as Noelle and I know, uh, we planted some stuff in our garden in the backyard. And uh, I told Lily that we'll just water it. And then we did it in the morning, afternoon. And I told her by night, we should see the plants. And we should be able to eat the fruit. And being a six-year-old, she believed me, which nobody should ever do. uh, Asked most of the kids in the church. And uh, there wasn't any fruit. So is, is this thing really planted? Is it really gonna grow? We put it in this morning and we watered it and there's no tomatoes. And we looked the next day and there weren't any tomatoes. And then we looked in a couple days and I think some of the kale started to sprout. But, but even then, and then, the, and then the squirrels ate it. And, and so we have to wrap our minds around like God's uh, mind, right? These, I, these concepts of proof of salvation and am I like really saved? And uh, that's not like nowhere is, do I see in scripture that God's calling us to think that way. We're called to think about fruit and what fruit is like and uh, what the biblical fruit is and how long that takes. Um, and this is just one of them. It's, it's self-evident. Do you sacrifice? Do you lay down your life? Is that an ongoing thought process that we have of what can I do for other people, specifically in our community, right? Um, is that, Daniel talked about it on Sunday, is that, is that me taking ownership or am I going to put it off on somebody else? Uh, the trash on Sunday? Like, I don't know, we have people who clean up, but is it? are we saying when the trash is full, we'll wait for that person to get it, or do we just see it and take care of it? Do we love in real practical ways? Um, verse 18, just to kind of sum it up. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Right? Um, are we doing that as a community? Are we calling each other to live that sort of life. Um, I really like the book of Timothy because it uses the phrase good works like 13 times or something. But then he doesn't describe what good works are. And I'm just, did I say Timothy? I meant Titus. I don't know if I said Titus or whatever, but uh, it's the book of Titus. And it says like 13 times or something, good works. Call the people to good works, good works. And then I'm like, okay, what are they? Just like list them out and I'll do them. And I'll check them off, and I'll try to do it on a, on a yearly, maybe bi-yearly schedule. And I'll check it off, and we'll be good. But that's not, we don't have a list of good works. I'm not even sure exactly how to I could describe it. There's tons of examples in Scripture, but it's kind of open-ended. Are we living a life where we're focused on... Uh, giving back t- to the community that God's put us in, right? Um, do we even have the mindset that that God's called us to be, even though in our weird post-500 years of the Reformation, like every church is like a different church, yet we're all one church, but uh, God has called us to this church, so are we trying to live in this community like God's called the church to be, right? A covenant community um, sacrificing for one another, loving one another, uh, committed to good works, um, and, and everything else. Um, is that like the mindset we have? And so sometimes we read this and we actually get like self-condemned, like, oh no, I'm not doing enough. But again, uh, the Bible doesn't say how much to do. It just says to do it. Does it mean uh, when we start thinking well i 'm not doing it enough, well, uh, sure, maybe the lord 's calling you to be more faithful and bear more fruit, but that 's what you can get condemned over is that you want to be more faithful and get and build more fruit. Not that uh, uh, for some reason you think unbiblical thoughts that you don 't meet some unbiblical standard and so um, and if you get condemned, just again look to First John. And he says, "If your heart's condemn you you have one who's greater, uh, Jesus Christ." Right? Love the book of First John. Uh, we should all read it multiple times a year, just to be brought back to reality. And so, uh, I just want to say one more thing about First John. In uh, what verse would it be? Let's start in 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Oh, let's go back to 21. Uh, Beloved, if our hearts, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Uh, That totally reminds me of our, we did it, I don't know, last season in our Lenten season of Hebrews somewhere. It says, uh, that God heard Jesus' cries and his prayers because he was obedient. I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. It's not because he was like his son or because of, he doesn't name anything else, but because Jesus was obedient. And this is saying the same thing. uh, Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so we start Again, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I start thinking on biblical things like, well, I sinned a lot this week, and Jesus isn't going to answer my prayers. And Well, hold on. He gives a context, and he bring it back to reality. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Sure, we should stop lusting. Sure, we should stop lying and stealing and cheating and punching people for out of malice and all these things. We're called to do that in scripture. But he's saying, the Lord, like if we should, first the commandment is believe in Jesus Christ and love one another. And sure, there might be times when we're in particular sins that the Lord might not honor certain prayers. But he hears those who obey his command that believe and lay down their lives and love the brothers and sisters. Right? Right? Uh, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so um, there's other places in scripture that calls us to be obedient for the sake of our, for the sake of our prayers. Um, like in 1 Peter 3, that husbands are actually supposed to live in an understanding way with their wives for the sake of their prayers. It gives a little bit of a context that like, if you're not living, and this is exactly what John is saying, loving one another, laying down your lives. If you're not being a godly husband, then uh, you should at least, for the sake of your prayers, obey Christ. You should lay down your life for uh, in first Peter, for your wife, uh, so that God will hear your prayers. He's not gonna honor your prayers, um, when you're living in a disobedient way directly in relation to how you treat other people, right? And so, um, again, that's not something that we should get condemned about. Go back to verse 20. 20. Uh, It's something that the Lord is calling us to and reminding us that, hey, I want... uh, I've got a lot of prayers. I've got a lot of petitions. I've got a lot of things uh, that I need the Lord to work on me on, uh, that if he doesn't act first, that, we're I'm lost. It's over. And so for, even just for the sake of those prayers, it makes me think that am I being a biblical man or not, right? Am I living in such a way that uh, God wants to, like, listen to my prayers, right? We think about, like, Abraham... Uh, who is the, called the friend of God, who when God even says like, would I not consult with my friend Abraham before doing such a thing, right? Um, and just look at the, how he treated people. And so um, those are the primary commands that the, the epistle of 1 John is concerned about, about believing in Christ and loving and laying down our lives for one another. So let's go to the Gospel of John and and wrap up here in a few minutes. John 10, uh, we start at verse 11, but we all know John 10.10, that the thief comes to kill and rob and destroy by a king, that you may have life and have it abundantly. Contextually, uh, who's the thief? Who's the robber? Who loves to steal, rob, and kill and destroy? Lucifer. Lucifer. Not in this context. Uh, I get him every time. Someone always says the wrong answer. Who had Somebody said something. False prophets, false prophets right? False teachers. Uh, in uh, the context that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the Pharisees, the teachers, the synagogue leaders, right? Uh, it's the, the people who have taught false doctrines and led the people astray. They are the, the hired servants that are fleeing. They're the ones who are the wolves. They're the ones... Um, who are culpable for leading the people astray. And so the shepherd theme is huge in scripture. I I wrote down a couple on your outline, Psalm 23, 78, 100, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 60, Jeremiah 50, uh, Ezekiel 34, we were gonna look at that one if we have time, Micah 2. And so... um, what could be a little confusing about this is Jesus says he's the one true shepherd but then later he says that like there's other shepherds and you have to like obey them but they're not like these shepherds uh, and that gets a little confusing because does that mean he's the one true shepherd? Does that mean our pastors are like false shepherds? No. Uh, the rest of the New Testament epistles handles that. And so Um, it's because he's saying he's gathering one people under him who's the true shepherd right just think about the hierarchy of the church Uh, let's just think about our church without naming names Uh, there's lay people we don't call them lay people I don't know do we who knows Uh, then we don't really have deacons but there's kind of deacons in the leadership team and then there's like elders right and that's the top authority in the church and we stop there we got a couple of uh-huhs. No, <laughs> let's go higher. Where are we going after that? We got a shepherd. We got, shepherd. We got Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd that, again, um, I think it's 1 Peter uh, calls Jesus the chief shepherd, right? And even in 1 Peter, the, shepherds, the church shepherds are called to imitate the chief shepherd. And so only true shepherds can be true shepherds under the true shepherd, right? And so uh, imitating is key. And so uh, if you're not familiar with the uh, probably hundreds, if not in the thousands of parallels of just the shepherd or sheep theme in scripture, get familiar with it. Uh, Does anybody know who the first shepherd was in scripture? It's probably Abel, right. Uh, we know I think Seth I think i'd have to actually i kind of asked that question without actually verifying the answer uh, i'm pretty sure it's uh Abel and I think Seth was, and you follow the line down joseph um and and Jacob and everyone coming into Israel were shepherds and and whatnot and so get familiar with that theme and what a shepherd does and uh and how that applies to Christ. Read Ezekiel 34. Uh, John 10 is almost mirroring and paralleling, paralleling exactly what Ezekiel 34 is saying about false shepherds, false prophets, false teachers who lead the people astray. And so, um, so yeah, I won't talk anymore about that. Uh, Just get yourself familiar with that theme. Um, and make the parallels through Christ's ministry and what he calls the church to be after that, because we're actually going to shepherd the whole earth. Um, So that seems like a good place to stop, right on time. Uh, So let's pray and and we'll go into worship. Uh, Father, you're the true shepherd. You're the, the true life giver. You give us life. You call us into life. Uh, as um, psalm one and thirty three says uh, with other people where a true anointing and blessing comes out, Lord, thank you for this community for uh, what you 've called us to be or empower us by your holy Spirit to be your witnesses um, here in this little plot in Dayton, uh, as we move out to the east side and to the whole city, Lord." Uh, Let us witness and testify about your greatness uh, inside and outside of our community for your sake. Amen.